The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Well, today uh, we're going to have a very fascinating show um, talking with Cheryl Cone Green, today's guest. We're talking, she is the uh, sex surrogate, or she likes to call herself the surrogate partner, uh, from the movie The Sessions. And uh, I hope you've all seen that movie. If you haven't, you have to go out and see it before it's out of the theaters. (laughs) Um, Of course, it's going to be on DVD at some point, but go see it now. Uh, It's an incredibly intimate movie um, that really makes you think differently about sex more sensitively about sex. And we're going to be talking about the movie. We're also going to be talking about Cheryl's life and her new book called An Intimate Life, Sex, Love, and My Journey as a Surrogate Partner. So welcome to the show, Cheryl. Hi, it's nice to be here. Yes, I God, I have so many. <laughs> I feel like I could talk to you for days, but uh, I guess we need to start with an hour. Um, okay. First of all, what did you say? I said, that's great. I'm glad we're getting an hour at least. <laughs> yes, right. Uh, first of all, what did you think of the, well, actually, b- before I was going to say, what did you think of the portrayal of you in the movie? But before we get to that, um, how, well, let's see. It's, why don't we start, I, as a psychiatrist, I like to do things chronologically, obsessively. <laughs> okay. Chronologically. And I've been reading your book, and it's really um, a, a page-turner because of how you combine your life story with um, your journey of becoming a sex surrogate and with the patients, or well, what, what, your client, what do you call them? I call them clients, and all surrogates do because we don't see them as sick or broken. Okay. Yeah. All right. So you're just feel better than calling them a patient. It just more and more we're trying to get away from people having sexual concerns as being sick. You okay. know, it's, uh, it's a common thing in everybody's lives that they're not comfortable with their sexuality or, or some portions of it. Right. Okay. So <laughs> Cheryl combines um, she weaves her own life story in with um, that of stories of her clients who she's worked with over the years. And, and that just makes the whole thing, you know, uh, very real and very interesting because of how the different clients um, trigger memories or, you know, of the rest of the story um, mm-hmm. of your life. So I guess why don't we start with um, your, why don't we start with when you were born? No, why don't we start with your early life in terms of, um, your your date how you started with your dating life and 
and all of that, and, and eventually got to making the decision to become a surrogate partner? Well, um, I started dating when I was 14. I mean, there were some boys when I was in grammar school who were interested, and we'd, go, we'd meet at a movie theater, and we'd watch a movie or something like that and walk home and maybe a little kiss, but uh, that was probably in the eighth grade. And then when I hit high school and I got out of Catholic school, um, I, that, was, that was a huge turning point for me. I mean, I was matured. I just started my period. I, I was a late, uh, well, in those days, more kids had their periods later, more girls. Right. And so that was, that was a time when, you know, my sexuality was really peaking. And I remember reading something years later that, you know, people got married when they were 14 and 15, 150 years ago. Mm-hmm. And that's a peak time for hormonal surging. And I definitely had those surges. And well, I went into high school. I felt shy. I was an outgoing person with the people I knew. But when I hit, when I walked into Salem High School, I was only fourteen. I was a, a freshman. I had just chopped all my hair off, and in, in, in a you know kind of a, uh, a getting back at my mom for trying to curl my hair since I was a mm-hmm. baby. I, she was always fussing with my hair, so yeah. I just chopped it all off in a pixie, which was not done very well. So I walked in feeling. Um, kind of strange, and within a very short time, I had met a wonderful young man who was a senior, and I write about him and how we started exploring together. And we went to get, we, was, we went steady. I had his ring, you know, the classic things that happened in the late 50s and 60s, early 60s. And we started exploring each other sexually. Uh, he, I was his first. He was my first. I don't advocate 14, by the way, as being the right time to do this. It just happened because of, oh, all sorts of, you know, just the, the time, the experience of being with somebody who I felt very sexually attracted to and I liked as a person. And I, I think I was a very lucky young woman that I met somebody who, who felt so um, caring and loving about for me because my mother had told me that you had to be careful because you got a reputation. And I told him that, that I was afraid that if we were doing what we were doing, that please don't talk about this with anybody. And he was almost hurt when I said that because he said, of course, I would never say anything. Um, but then, you know, he wasn't one, he was, we were being careful about me not getting pregnant, but in those days it didn't mean wearing condoms or using condoms. You had to go into a pharmacy and stand there and ask the pharmacist for a, the condom. Mm-hmm. And, and there was a great deal of, you know, shame associated with doing that because of the attitude. And we never even tried because we had heard what other people went through. So we use withdrawal method, and you know what they call people who use that method, right. parents. So what? We, we locked out, and I didn't get pregnant. What do they and, call people? Um, who, <laughs> I, I couldn't hear what you said. What did you? What do they call people who use that method? Parents. Right. <laughs> 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 we were lucky. We didn't become parents. I was. I remember him saying to me, "Oh, well, you know, your your grandmother loves me, and my grandmother did love him." She actually said to me in private, "It's too bad you're meeting him now because he would be such a good person for you later." Hmm. Uh, at 14, she already knew that there was going to be a breakup at some point where I'd want to, and, and it, it was true. I mean, when we started being sexual with penis and vagina sex, that scared me. Everything we did, the petting and the kissing and mutual exploring of each other's genitals with hands, that was exciting. I love that. But when we got to having intercourse, I froze up and I stopped feeling, and I was scared. 
And he always said, don't worry, I'll make sure I'll pull out, blah, blah, blah. But I always worried that something could happen, and I remember being resentful and angry towards him, and that's why I broke up with him. Just because I felt ashamed, I went to I went to confession every week. Before I could go to communion, I went to confession. You can't go to communion with a mortal sin on your soul, and I knew I was committing mortal sins by having sex because I was taught in Catholic school that it was a sin of impurity and it was bad and you know we were given messages that that space between the belly button and the thighs was verboten you don't even go there um, except to take care of cleanliness and all that it is so many mixed feelings and confusion that I brought into the relationship with him and I carried it throughout my teen years from you know, when I broke up with him, I said I didn't want to get pregnant. I was 14. I just got out of grammar school. I did not want to be a mother. And when we broke up, my next boyfriend wasn't interested in having intercourse because he had all these football scholarships and basketball scholarships. He was a fantastic athlete. And so we did everything but, and that was fun, until the day that he told me I was a sex maniac when I had an orgasm, which shut me off forever with him. But I stayed with him. I'm sure it had to do with the social stuff. I mean, here I was, the girlfriend of the high school football, you know, god, and it was fun. And but the the idea that he had said that to me never left me, and I always felt very guilty about that. So you know, that went on until I was 18 with him. I think we were together almost three and a half years, and uh, Which I is went really to a amazing. I mean, I was reading about like me, a girls like me ruin young boys' lives. And that was a huge moment. I stopped going to confession after that. When I asked him what about my life, he had no answer. And uh, I left the Catholic Church. I mean, I stuck around. When my mother expected me to go to church, I would go to church. It doesn't mean it, it, it was easy for me to do. It was a profound moment. I felt very sad. And, um, you know, I lost something that I had believed in for years, and then I realized there was no answer for women. I mean, if I could be labeled like that as a bad girl for having those feelings, I knew something had to be wrong. So that's essentially when I went on the quest. And within a year, I married. Uh, I was 19 when I, just before my 20th birthday, I married uh, Michael Cohen, and he had told me, you're not a bad girl. Who are you hurting? And, you know is there any God that would be less compassionate than you are? And I thought about that, and I thought, oh, my God, I had never thought. I never thought in that way before. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was angry for quite a while at the church, at the things that I had been taught. And I talked to a priest much later, and he said, oh, you had an immature, you stopped before you really got a good, the, the more mature Catholic education. Uh-huh. I said to him, how dare the church do that to to mm-hmm. people like me. Well, you know, I didn't go to college right away. I got it, it, married it, when I was 19 it, to wait, an amazing it, you, person who taught me, me much. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt you, but I just wanted to make a point. That, uh, tell that, me whenever you want me to stop. <laughs> um, that, you know, that, that I, I think a lot of these things that happened in your childhood, I mean, even starting with uh, your mother coming in when you were younger, before you actually had a boyfriend and found you masturbating and told you how horrible that was and you confessing about that to the church and so on. So yeah. all of these different experiences that you had, and even and wanting to rebel against your parents and, and the church, and and wanting to and be feeling having low self esteem going into high school and feeling that you were so fortunate to be with these guys these cool two cool, cool guys that you put your 
your own wishes secondary to them. And so I th- what's interesting is that, and then, of course, you're going to talk about your husband, um, mm-hmm. but what's interesting is how all of these different difficult experiences must be very useful to you um, as, a sex, uh, as a surrogate partner. They are, because my clients come in a lot of times, and as you, as you read in the book, so much of what I went through and I overcame, I kn- that makes me very, very confident that if they really listen to what the therapist, the referring therapist and I tell them, and we explore together, because, you know, you can read forever about what to do, but some people actually, I'm one of those people too, I need hands-on help. I need to be shown, and I, that's mostly because I'm dyslexic and not everybody is, but I, people have uh, have to really practice these things. You can't just look at a book and read about why you're not going to not having erections stay when you want to use yeah. them or getting them at all with a partner. You actually yeah. have to be with somebody who can help you help you move through that process together yeah, and so learn gonna, what it is that you're doing that takes that away from you. That ability. and we're, we're going to get into that as we go along. But right yeah, now so we I need can to help take... because I feel empathy and compassion, yeah. and that's what surrogates need to have right at yes. the beginning before they even get trained. Absolutely. So we do need to take a break now. My guest is Cheryl Cone Green. She is the uh, sex surrogate partner from the movie The Sessions and the author of a new book called An Intimate Life, Sex, Love, and My Journey as a Surrogate Partner. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Think of the world 50 years ago. Now think of this same world and how it will be 50 years from now. Did you know that if the world's population continues to grow at its current rate, our children and grandchildren will only have 25% of the resources per capita that our parents and grandparents had? We must preserve the foundation of a quality standard of living. That foundation starts with Go Green Radio. Join your host, Jill Buck, for Go Green Radio every Friday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. We're talking today about Cheryl Cone Green. She is the author of An Intimate Life, 
Sex, Love, and My Journey as a Surrogate Partner. She was played by um, by Helen Hunt in the relatively new movie called uh, The Sessions. Fabulous movie. You have to go see it. Of course, you also have to buy Cheryl's book because that takes you a lot deeper into being a, a sex surrogate partner than uh, the movie is, is the... Um, is the uh, icing, you know, but uh, the, or the tease, but uh, but really, um, you, you then want to find out more about what a person who does this is like, and that's what we're hearing now. Cheryl was talking about um, her own uh, journey, sexual and romantically, and so on, and um, we're now going to hear about going from your first marriage to actually when you and how you and why you <laughs> became a surrogate partner. So. Take us back to that. Okay. Um, I got married in 1964, and I married somebody who was very open and had a lot of sexual experience and was extremely knowledgeable and comfortable with himself, which helped me a lot because I was still shy and I was not comfortable with nudity or, you know, that everything was just sort of like... Uh, everything I had experienced before then was in a car, in the back seat of a car, or the front seat, or never in a bed, uh, in the dock. You know, and the very first time we were together, he turned on the uh, he turned on the lights in the room, and I started screaming, "No, no, no, no! Please, please!" You know, and he was patient and loving and caring, and that I, I wish everybody had somebody who was that comfortable with them. And and uh, over time, I became less and less. Uh, embarrassed by by being nude and all of that. We got married, as, I think it was eight months after we met, and within t- a month I was pregnant with my first child. And then uh, three years after that I had my second. I have a son, a daughter who's 47 and a son who's 44. And uh, we moved to Berkeley when my son was 10 weeks old and we drove across country in a Volkswagen van, but we were hippies, and we moved right to Berkeley. Um, in the book, it talks about some, the car accident, which I won't get into here, but it was a, a, a tough first year for me getting my health back. And um, But my kids have thrived beautifully. Uh, over the years, I was in an open marriage for 28 of those years that I was with Michael. And uh, that was a test, you know, of fire. 28 in many years. Ways. You know, I, I, was, I didn't realize that, that it went on... The open marriage went on for 28 years. That might be a record. I Yeah, well, we managed to survive, but not in the, the last several years after he had children with his lover. <laughs> that was a difficult time for me, and I loved the kids. He had two children. By then, I wasn't able to have children anymore because of a Delcon Shield experience, and I wound up having two children a different way than I would have ever expected it. But they are beautiful, and I've never... Just you know, I wanted them in in my children's lives. I thought it was crazy not to have these children know each other, and they care about each other. They're very close. Children so that you wouldn't mean that you had by a different way. Oh well, Michael. Well, I didn't have them physically. They were Michael's oh, girlfriend's through, children. Yes, yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. So they are beautiful, and I love them, and and uh, they're growing up now. So yeah. it, it, it's it's been a good experience. Um, I became a surrogate partner, and we don't call ourselves sex surrogates because that's not the main focus of what we do, although it is part of it, but the public seems to understand it better. If you don't say sex surrogate, they think you're having children for somebody. Yes. Which is a wonderful thing, too, that people do, but this is not what we do. Um, I started being working on my, my own. I was continually working on myself to get 
more and more comfortable with me as a person. So everything that my husband did and I did as far as exploring our open marriage was, was I was learning what I liked, what I didn't like, how to say no, how to do all the things that I didn't know when I was a teenager, knowing that I could say no. I mean, you know, my, I always felt that if a boy touched me, not that I had to have intercourse with him, but that, you know, I, I, well, actually, that's true. I did. <laughs> I did wind up having intercourse with people who I let touch my my uh, breasts um, and my crotch, <laughs> and that wasn't good because there were times when I wish I wasn't doing what I was doing, and that's a bad place for a woman to be in. Mm-hmm. You're not really present. You're not really enjoying it. You're just thinking about, all right, let's hurry up and get this over with so I can mm-hmm. never see you again. And I, I those experiences were all learning experiences for me. Um, but with, as far as surrogate, starting my training for surrogate work, I started that on my own by going into seeing a therapist when I was 20, before I had my daughter. I wanted to break a cycle that I had going on in my family. So I um, thought, okay, I don't know why my mother and I didn't have a good relationship, but I want to have a good relationship with my daughter or son. And so that was a piece of my life. I was in therapy off and on, through, and I still do it. I mean, when something comes up, I don't think my friends need to be my therapist. I go to a wonderful woman here in Berkeley that I love, and she works with me through a, you know, through an issue, and then I'm back out in the world. I, I recommend it highly. A lot of people, when I was growing up, thought, oh, you have to be crazy right. to go to a therapist. And my feeling is good therapists are out there, and they're there to guide you to think differently. You might not think of the things that the therapist comes up with on your own. You know, we get blind, we get black right. and white, and that's an issue I've always had. It's either black or it's white. I couldn't see the gray areas. But I started to be able to do that through self-awareness and working on myself. I did nude modeling for different colleges in the Bay Area. I had a friend who I saw, and she was doing it. She was making $3 an hour. Now, you have to understand this was in 1969, 70. That was a lot of money per hour, so I thought, wow, I can make some extra money, and I can work on being more comfortable with nudity in front of other people. I wasn't uncomfortable with my husband or my children, but I was uncomfortable with the idea of going to a nude beach or whatever, so I did this, and I got good at it. I I modeled for different schools, different artists. It was fun. And then at the same time I was involved maybe two years into that, by 19, late 1972, I found out about San Francisco Sex Information, which is an amazing switchboard here in the Bay Area that I was on the staff of for 20 years and answered the phone for two of those 20 years. And we just give referrals to people. They call in, they ask questions, and we give them accurate information. We, you know, so that was a huge piece of my training was learning how to be able to be a better listener and also be able to give people the referrals they needed. We didn't do therapy online, but at the same time I was doing that training, I found out about surrogates through watching films, and there were some surrogates in that in, on, who did sex education films for the National Sex Forum. I met one of them. She worked with a psychiatrist and a psychologist, and I met both of them, and one of them I started working with practically immediately and uh, as a surrogate while I was doing SISI training. Then they did a couples counseling conjoint therapy training for therapists, and he brought me to that, and we wound up doing what master. I do the, most of the time I'm working from the Masters and Johnson modality where, you know, I get undressed quickly. 
<laughs> not the minute the client comes in the room, but we talk for the first hours, let's say. we They can ask me anything. I ask them questions. I give them an overview of what to expect. The therapist that refers them to me has also done some of this and given me some of the history. But we want to get a sense of each other, and I ask at some point if they feel comfortable working with me. And if they do, uh, and 99% of the time I'm comfortable, the only thing that turns me off is a bad attitude and somebody who thinks I'm going to magically fix them. But I, you know, we work together. So that I also have been trained too in the uh, the the Hotman and Fithian uh, method of of doing hand caress, face caress, foot caress, teaching people how who are uncomfortable with the nudity right away. Um, you know, because if a client does want to work with me, we'll go in the bedroom, get undressed, do some breathing exercises, and they get used to the idea you can be naked with a woman. You don't have to have an erection. You're not going to have sex because that's already written in. I've explained that to them. And it's gradual course. The, the, the process is a gradual increase of intimacy. And I love it because I see amazing changes happening in the sessions we have well, together. So well, I've been, when the well, sessions, most often uh, in the movie, it shows me having saying to Mark that we're going to see each other for six sessions. And some clients, that's enough. Some clients, I say, between six and eight, and then there are people who've had their issues for much longer, and they may take longer. It may well, take them more talk- like 10 to 12 sessions. So, let's start but talking the about the movie. Involved. I'm let's, sorry, Carol, what? Let's start talking about the movie. Yeah, um, how is it that you got, you know, I, that you got involved with that? I mean, I, I guess, well, tell us about the movie and how you got involved in it. Well, about, oh, Mark called me in 1990 to tell me he had... talking about Mark O'Brien. Oh, Mark O'Brien, yes. He called me to tell me that he had written a story, uh, and it was published in the Sun magazine in 1990, about our work together. And I thought, he had told me when he was, we were seeing each other that he was thinking of writing a story about his experience. And it was four years after we had seen each other, and he still hadn't met anybody. And he kind of had this feeling that he was going to, having had sex... It was going to change what he, you know, Wait, can we just back, back up a little bit and, sure. for people who haven't seen the show? Yes. Uh, yes haven't I'm seen sorry. the movie. Um, okay. Mark was this man, young, well, he was 38, I think it was, when he... Actually, was, he was 36 and I was 42 at the time. Okay. And um, he was in an iron lung. He slept in an iron lung and he had... He lived in an iron lung. Mm-hmm. Most of the time he was in the iron lung. And from the age, because of the fact that from the age of six, he contracted polio, and that's and his body was affected, distorted, and his his breathing in particular was he needed a special breathing apparatus and and also mostly an iron lung, and so yeah. it was it was not the typical client that you would have. It, he presented additional cli- additional challenges, um, exactly, and he yeah. was referred to you by a therapist. Um, mm-hmm. And I just want to lay that groundwork for people oh, who haven't you. seen the the movie. Yeah, so go I'm ahead. Sorry, I jumped to that conclusion. Not that everybody would have would have seen it, but I was <laughs> just moving faster. Um, I'm worried. I'm not worried, but I'm concerned about time. I want to get the information out. But sure. yeah, Mike was in that. I, he was the most profoundly disabled person I had worked with up until that point. I had worked with other people with disabilities, but nobody that I had never been with a man or, or uh, who was a quadriplegic and also couldn't move his head. Uh, I mean, not couldn't move one of his feet. He could move slightly, and he could also move his neck very slightly, and he could also move his mouth and speak. Yes, I thought that was an important part. I can't do that. (laughs) 
and and he could get erections. And we need to take yes. another break. Okay. <laughs> and we'll hear more about Mark and his erections and your clients and how you work <laughs> and how that and how that um, uh, you know what was so interesting in the movie was how that was uh, was you were doing all that on the background of your own personal life. And I want to ask you about all of that. Oh sure. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. My guest is Cheryl Cohn Green, the author of An Intimate Life. Sex, Love, and My Journey as a Surrogate Partner. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and we'll be right back. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships... Check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Do you find yourself tearing pictures of rooms out of magazines? Do you watch certain movies and TV programs because of the homes they show? Are Sundays reserved for open houses? Then you are a home dreamer. And someday, you will build or renovate your dream home. Steve Clip has spent three decades learning how to win at the dream home game. His show, Winning the Dream Home Race, can be heard every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Let Steve Clip help save you money and make you a winner. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. We're talking today about, uh, well, with Cheryl Cone Green, who is the sex surrogate or surrogate partner from Sessions. She's pulling back the covers on uh, her real life and also on um, the, the what it was like to have um, to to have Mark O'Brien as a client, and that's the man who is the uh, main character in the movie, The Sessions. And um, I was, oh yes, I wanted to ask you at the beginning, and then I went back to be uh, chronological. But I wanted to ask you what you thought about Helen Hunt, her portrayal of you. Were you happy about? Uh, well, the writing and her acting, did you feel that it was, I'm, I'm presuming you were a, um, I think you were a, a consultant to the movie, obviously, so, yes. but were you happy with the finished product? Yes, I uh, was so happy. I, I, had, I had been there uh, for a week during part of the movie when the movie was just starting to be um, shot, and I met with Helen, and we had a, a lunch together, and then I went into her car, and I practiced, I read her, this, her lines to her. Um, and, and she wanted to have that on tape so she could hear my Boston accent. Yeah. 
And then I went up to her house, not that same day, but another time we, I went over to visit in the evening and, and showed her sensual touch. And her wonderful partner, Matthew, was kind enough to be my subject, although oh, we wow. all stayed closed. Um, <laughs> but I showed her how I did face all the way down the front of Mark's body, and, my, and Matthew was my my um, my my subject. Uh-huh. It was, but I, you know, one of the things that I noticed, Carol, is when I was watching Mark O'Brien, when I was watching Helen, she was doing something nobody's ever quite done with me, and, and she was staring at me a lot. And I realized later she was watching me so closely and studying me, and. I'd never been around a really, well, I'd never been around an actor who was going to play me. Uh And she got me. And when I heard her walk in in the first scene of the movie, well, the first time she comes into the movie and meets Mark, and she comes into the room and she says, Hi, Mark O'Brien. That as I sat there at Sundance Film Festival, which was fabulous, this is the first time I saw the complete movie, I just, my eyes welled up. I knew she had been watching me and why what she was doing when she was watching me was so clear. And so many times during the movie, she said words that I had said to her. Mm. And she actually, she and Ben got together and changed some of the script. Mm. You know, I know scripts change daily if you have some ideas, because I learned that when I was there. But I was just, I was thrilled. And I love John Hawks. I met with him, too, while I was there that week. And he, he put his heart and soul, as she did, into being those characters. Especially, he watched the documentary about Mark O'Brien. In 1997, there was a documentary done on Mark's life called Breathing Lessons, The Life and Work of Mark O'Brien. He watched that 13 times by the time I met him, and he was still watching it daily to get Mark's voice, to get different things. And he'd asked me really important questions, so did Helen, about how I related to Mark, what Mark would have done. And also, we had... Susan Fernbach, who is the woman at the end of the movie who Mark meets, she actually she was a consultant to a Ben and to the uh, John and Helen, so they really did a marvelous job. I'm thrilled. Well, you know, when I was reading your book, that yeah. was the, one of the first things that I thought of. How your voice in the book, I mean, you know, obviously not literally, but your how how you would be uh, or how you described yourself when you describe working with clients. Uh, particularly with Mark, that it really did seem like Helen Hunt. I mean, in other words, that she <laughs> she did have your voice literally and figuratively. She was bringing out the same compassion, the same sensitivity, the same uh, slowness in uh-huh. in working with him. You know, in in being a sex surrogate or a sur- surrogate partner. Um, you know, it, I I felt that that was really you in the room. Uh, the, you know, uh. you can you can tell that actually in your book. Well, many of my friends have said, you know, almost all of them have said to me, she got you. She mm-hmm. really got you. And I am so proud that somebody is such a fabulous actress as Helen Hunt. When Ben told me that Helen Hunt wanted to play me, I couldn't believe it. Mm-hmm. I was Not that I thought that, you know, nobody would want to play me, but I was so thrilled. Mm-hmm. I, I mm-hmm. love her. Yes. So, okay, so so in that, let, let me just ask you some questions that I had watching the movie and reading your book. Um, well, first of all, you're, <laughs> what was so interesting, one of the things that was so interesting was how you really seemed to develop. Now, I don't know if this was, you know, how real this was or whether it was yeah. poetic license, but in the movie, you mm-hmm. seemed to develop um, feelings for him that went beyond... Um, being a sex surrogate or a surrogate partner. 
And mm-hmm. and at the time, it showed the contrast of how warm and sensitive and compassionate and how loving the whole interaction was between the two of you. Mm-hmm. It contrasted with what your life was like, a sexless, at least is what it looks like looked like in the movies. Yeah. Movie um, with your husband. My life was never sexless with my husband. Not at that point. <laughs> Not until maybe a year before before we broke up. Well, but did um, you? So what did you think about that? Like, why? You know, they showed you, for example, getting into bed with your husband, and you you both looked angry. Well, he went to sleep, and you both looked angry at each other. You know, I, I, when I was watching it, I didn't think they. She was angry with him. It was when she she was starting to feel something for Mark, and she didn't want to talk to him about it. Um, she was confused herself of it by what was happening, and you know her her emotional reaction to Mark. And then when he opened up her mail and went through and found the poem that Mark wrote her and threw it away. See, my, that was totally poetic license. My husband didn't have a jealous bone in his body. In fact, I used to wonder about that. <laughs> and what I was glad he wasn't jealous. <laughs> yeah. But I also, um, we were we were sexual with each other, and it, it didn't portray us the way we were. And also, I have two children, and I only have a son in the movie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, um, I, you know, Ben. Um, well, yeah, it showed you beautifully son. portrayed what Mark and I felt for each other, though. I'm sorry, say that again. No, Ben beautifully portrayed the the feelings that Mark and I developed were ones of deep caring, and also I was worried about him. I really, really wanted him to have a, a trans. The, the object of every work, the work I do with any client, is transferring what the client learns with me and the experiences into a, 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 a rich, beautiful relationship at some point. And I worried that that wasn't going to happen. How were people going to find Mark? I mean, he was he was um, he would get out of the house. He was he had a portable sort of uh, gurney that he was on that had a, his pack of air, you know, he, he could get to oxygen, but he could only do that in the, when I met him, he was doing it three to four hours a day. Then he got post-polio syndrome, which came back and finally killed him in 1999. So okay, but, he, but... it was a struggle for him to meet people. Yes, but I mean, but it does, did seem, and it, I think that it was true from uh, that that you were comparing this kind of uh, pure, I don't know whether to call it love, but pure um, loving kinds of feelings with Mark, pure, there was something so innocent with him. Um, yeah. And by that point, I mean, you had been having an open marriage with your husband. It wasn't, it wasn't long after that, right, that mm-hmm. you then divorced? Well, we divorced in 1995. Okay. Yeah. I mean, the marriage um, wasn't uh, wasn't super happy at that point. Or, I mean, it seemed like you were contrasting what was what the innocent kind of loving feelings that you were having with Mark with yeah. some of the more difficult, confusing, troubling feelings that you were having with your husband. Yes. Yes. And that's poetic license. I had a lover who I'm married to now. Mm-hmm. The man that's in the book, Bob, mm-hmm. more than a client. Yes. Yeah. While I was working with Mark O'Brien, I was married to Michael, and I had Bob in my life. <laughs> and he is very much, well, in, in the sense of his innocence and who he is as, as, as this person that's pretty unbelievable, uh, they, the, I was having those conflicting feelings with him and with Michael. Mark, on the other hand, my major concern was to be able to, I stayed in Mark's life. 
I didn't go back and we weren't, you know, doing surrogate client uh, experiences anymore because he lucked out after, it wasn't just right after or years, it took about eight years before he met Susan. Mm-hmm. And in the movie, it, it seems like it happened much quicker. Right. But it did happen. And they formed, the, she's a poet, a writer, a fabulous woman, and they started a company, the Lemonade Factory, where all of his works, she just started it up again because she, after his death, she started to put it aside. Now his works are becoming more and more available, mm. all his poetry, including that beautiful poem, Love Story for No One in Particular, that he gave to, to Helen. He sent me that. Uh, a year after we saw each other in a little booklet that he had put together with a lot of poems, and that was the first one. Mm. And I remember reading it and thinking, oh, my God, did he write this for me? Mm. And then, you know, within a minute I thought, no, he wrote this because of what we did together for the next woman, Mm. because he knew now what he was capable of, and I felt so proud of that. Um, But Mark and I cared deeply. When he, I was with him the last Christmas. I I have a Christmas card that's in the book. If you look at the pictures, it's in the back. I went to to have dinner with him on the night. Well, we celebrated his 49th birthday together. I brought him a lobster and a little chocolate cake and his attendant, and he and I had dinner together. Um, we talked on the phone. He'd give me a call, let me know that he had published something or would I, would I like to see this. He called me and I went to the uh, opening at the Pacific Film Archives here in Berkeley of, his, of the documentary and met the documentarian, Jessica Yu. I met his father and his brother and his sister-in-law at his memorial service. I was there. Um, they had never met me, but they had heard about me, and that was beautiful. So, I mean, Mark was a part of my life until he died. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He yeah, was beautiful. That's... You should have seen those eyes <laughs> and his hair. When when Helen is running her hands through his hair, I told her about his his beautiful hair and how it felt. And nobody had ever touched him like that. Nobody had told him how the the, the finer parts of him that you know. And he had a, a very attractive penis, but he didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Do you remember the scene where she's standing with the mirror? Mm-hmm. He asked me to bring the mirror, and I was frightened. I thought, oh, God, what's he going to do when he sees his body? He hasn't seen his body since he was a kid, until uh, since his neck was frozen to the side the way it was. And I brought the mirror thinking, all right, I'll deal with whatever comes. I can handle it, and his therapist is there in the background, you know, for me to contact. And when I showed him his body in the mirror, he looked at me and he said, Oh my God! It's it's not as bad as I thought. Mm-hmm. Do you know how we are our own worst enemies about things? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and here he was doing exactly what anybody else would do. He yes, had, whatever his image it was, it was much worse than what he saw. Yes. Well, we do need to take another break. Okay. Um, these are coming around too quickly. My guest is Cheryl Cohn Green. She is the real live six surrogate surrogate partner from Sessions. She's also the author of a new book called An Intimate Life, Sex, Love, and My Journey as a Sex as a Surrogate Partner. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, and stay tuned. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? 
Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Very rarely does our news media spotlight some of the good things that are happening in our world. For more of these good stories and the people that are creating them, Tune in to Bread for the Journey with Mariana Cacciatore. Whether these good acts stem from personal tragedy or just a desire to help out and make this a better world in which to live, you'll find inspiration in every week's program. Connect with those that are doing something great for a change. Listen for Bread for the Journey, Saturdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern, on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. Hey, welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with my fabulous guest, and I'll tell you why. Well, fabulous for a number of reasons, but I'll tell you why I'm saying it right now. But anyway, Cheryl Cohn Green, and um, you know what? What, <laughs> what I was just thinking about one of the things that makes you so fabulous is how you just love um, crossing boundaries and flaunting it, and it so obviously comes from being a rebel, starting as a young child, and being oppressed between your family and your religion, and mm-hmm. how you're so not afraid to um, to just be out there, not only in your work, of course. But um, just, I mean, now in the book, just telling the world, you know, what it is, what what your life was, what you do, and um, and they can uh, they can like it or not. Um, and so, Bob, your current husband, to whom you dedicate the book, um, we were starting to talk during the break about he how he was one of your clients. Now, presumably, yeah. I know that because I was looking into this. Um, I know that sex surrogates or surrogate partners are apparently not ruled by any uh, legal authorities, um, but like for psychiatrists, obviously, as I'm sure you know and most of my listeners know, um, there are laws against you're not supposed to have sex with your patients as mm-hmm. a psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. Um, you'd lose your license and, and more. Uh, yeah. So how, how did Bob go from being your client to being your husband? Well, you know, when, when I said earlier that my clients aren't sick and broken, they mostly need to have some accurate information. They need to pay, stop trying to follow the, what they see as the rules that our culture has. A man's supposed to know everything. The woman's supposed to know, learn from the man. And where's he supposed to learn? And right. All of that. Well, he came to me. He was the sweetest. He was just turned, he was just about to turn 31. He had been in Vietnam. He had gone to Thailand on R&R. He was 20 years old went to this very nice woman who was trying to save herself and her little girl, and she was a prostitute. 
and uh, they uh, she he he was in the dock with her and she didn't reach out to help him guide him in she just let him fumble around and i cannot i have no no feelings negative feelings about her for that but that's that's when it started for him his erection he couldn't find the opening to her vagina in the dock he was inexperienced no experience actually and he lost his erection and that's when the snowball effect started with him. He came to me by the time I saw him. It was 10 years later, and he had tried a few uh, relationships with women and failed at being able to have an erection when he wanted it. And so that was where he came from. And when we came together to work with each other, uh, we really liked each other. I, As I got to know him, uh, I realized that I had strong feelings for him, but I was going to let him go out there in the world. And he showed up in this last session, and I've never accepted a gift from a client except this one time, and he walked in. He knew I had an old camera, and I was trying to take pictures of my kids. And he handed me this Canon camera, and I looked at him, and I said, I can't accept this. I'm so sorry. And he he got teary, and I, he said, please, please let me give you this. I want to thank you for everything you've done. And I said, but, but he said, if you do this, I, I'm not bringing it back. I don't know what I'll do with it. I said, all right, all right. How about you teach me how to use it? And that huh. was it. <laughs> huh. We went off to the Botanical Gardens in Berkeley the next week. He started walking across this little bridge on his hands. He was so funny. It's so cute. And I was in the midst of a relationship where my husband was just, he, he had just, well, actually, he had not had his first child. But I didn't know that this baby was about to be born. And um, I was I was in a vulnerable place. And I... Now that, I mean, Bob and I have been together 33 years, and it's been probably the best 33 years of my life. Hmm. So I took everything that I had that Michael couldn't accept from me, because I realized Michael was very wonderful in many ways, but there was a broken path to him where he could be there for me and uh, and let me talk and tell all my woes and all of that. But do you think he ever shared with me anything deeply personal that was mm. that? He was mm. never vulnerable with me. Mm. I just thought he was so cool he didn't have any vulnerability, mm. you know. Mm-hmm. And then I found out that he had a vulnerability, and it was it was too late. Too many lies had happened. When you stop trusting somebody that and they keep hurting you with lies, it's hard to it's hard to get back that trust and that deep love. I mean, I love Michael until he died. I mean, that was one of the worst experiences I've ever had, him dying. But I wasn't in love with him anymore. And Bob walked in, in the midst of that turmoil, and we didn't, he didn't ask me to break up with Bob, Michael, and I didn't. When it happened, it happened totally not because of him. And then six months later, I got lymphoma. And who's standing right beside me every chemotherapy? Bob. Hmm. He didn't run away. He kept making sure I was okay. And nobody had ever really done that with me. Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, you know, he had asked me after Michael and I broke up, would you think about getting married? And I said, no, I need some time not to be married, not to be in a relationship. I need that. I've got to find myself. And then I found myself almost dying, and this man is there. And I thought, what am I looking for? Mm. Look at who I have in my life. And he's been with me through breast cancer, through hip replacement, through traumas that I've had, you know, uh, physical traumas and emotional. And he's been, uh, he's been him. He's just an, he's, I am one of the luckiest people on the planet. Well, now, did anything, did you have um, some repercussions from that, becoming romantically involved 
I mean, professional no, repercussions. No, this was, you know, this was 1979. We have a code of ethics. I belong, I'm the vice president of the Sur- <laughs> International Professional Surrogates Association, IPSA. Mm-hmm. We have a code of ethics we follow. Yeah, there, you know, at the time I wasn't a member of IPSA, but <laughs> we do have that code of ethics. And when I joined IPSA, I told people the truth. Mm-hmm. And they just said, well, where do you feel you are now? And I said, uh, I have made a commitment to Bob. We're monogamous with each other other than the fact that I work as a surrogate. And they said, that's okay with us. I mean, you, do, you how do you, I, they met Bob, they knew us. I wasn't being chastised. I don't know of any other surrogates who have married clients, uh, but I, I know I am one, and I proudly raise my hand. You know, we work with human beings. I know psychologists mm-hmm. and psychiatrists can, can't do that because of their their licensing, but I, I guarantee you surrogates aren't running around marrying their clients. It happened, <laughs> and I don't lie about it. But you know, earlier, well, Carol, you said something about me flaunting who I am. I don't. When I go to cocktail parties, do you think I tell people what I do? No. <laughs> I don't want to be standing there forever answering all their questions. <laughs> well, I, I just meant, well, certainly in your book, you, you I mean, you're very brutally honest about now. things. Yeah. I don't mean flaunted in a negative kind of way, but I mean, you know, you put things out there that a lot of people wouldn't be courageous enough to do. Now, I, think I want to make time, sure I get though, time to ask you this. We have a world full of people who have all sorts of questions and confusion. And I have made it through 68 years and got to this point in my life. And if I can do it, other people can. I just like people to start thinking. I believe this or I believe that, and it's not working for me, and I'm not happy. Mm-hmm. How do you make yourself happy? You start opening up and seeing where you have the, your judgments and seeing if those judgments that you have are really true. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I knew it when I did San Francisco Sex Information training. I could not believe the judgments that were popping mm-hmm. out of me, watching the films, the sex education films, sitting with gay, bi and straight, trans, gender people, uh, the whole community out here in this fabulous place, the Bay Area of California near San Francisco. I feel I lucked out in the 60s and 70s, and I was brought home mm-hmm. to where I should be. And well, now, one question that I'm sure a lot of people have is how, since you do um, have, you work up to, but whatever, you do for most clients have sexual intercourse as part of what you're doing, yeah. um, That how is it that um, you don't become more, how are you able to do that without becoming more entangled emotionally with them? I mean, certainly you know uh, that, when a woman has sexual intercourse, whoever it is, um, there is more of a vulnerability. Now, I know this is your yes. job, and you've been doing it for a very long time, and, and you're very mm-hmm. professional about it and so on, but how do you separate yourself at that moment or soon, you know, or during those from session to session? You know, when I think back on my dating, I, I had ah. experiences with people, prob- and not as honest as they are now by a long shot because I didn't know how to verbalize what I was thinking and feeling. Um, I love my clients at a certain level. You know how you can love at, a, at different levels. Yes. And I've had clients in the middle of, you know, we got to a place where, oh, my, my God, we were having orgasms together. And the client says to me, I love you. Like Mark said in the movie, right. Mark said that to me. And that experience that you see with her on top and her having the orgasm yes. and kissing his chest, that all happened. And when he said, I love you to me, I said it right back to him because I did. 
Mm-hmm. You know how you can love somebody yeah. for the experience, yeah. for the openness you've just shared? Yeah. But it doesn't mean you're going to walk away into the sunset together. Right. And you're in love for a lifetime. Right. And I won't, it, I, it's the therapist that I work with and I both agree, if a person can come to a place where they can feel the emotion and all of that intimacy and understand that every relationship has a beginning, a middle, and an end, and ours is built in, but they're able to feel those feelings, we've that's success. Okay. Now, I know that... I'm I mean, obviously, uh, as I said at the beginning, I could talk to you for hours, but um, mm-hmm. we need to to end. <laughs> and okay. I want to make sure that people know how they can get in touch with you, how they can get your book. Uh, they could go to my website. It's com, and it talks about my book there. Uh, it's on Kindle and Nook, and it's on audiobooks, and now it's uh, it's on Amazon.com, and it's also at Powell's Bookstore in Portland, Oregon, and they are union bookstore, and I have to say my son is a union president here mm-hmm. of the Service Employees okay. International Union. I'll throw that in there. Okay, let me just And I for... love, um, wherever people want to buy it, it's out there, and I, oh, yeah, if you want oh, to call me, spell, you can find me, just... me, and we'll talk. Okay, let me just spell your name so people can go to your website. Cheryl Cone Green is C-H-E-R-Y-L-C-O-H-E-N-G-R-E-E-N-E. So yes. Cheryl, thank you so much for sharing all of this intimacy and for the work that you do. And I'm sure, I mean, obviously you've, and I really would recommend this book to everyone. It's, it's an eye-opener and, and a page-turner. So thank you again, Cheryl. Thank you all it's for been listening. It's a pleasure, been Cheryl. Listening. Thank you. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff and management.